You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Matthew chapter 6. So friends, after a year like this past year especially, we all know this. Fear and anxiety are everywhere, and they take on many different forms. At one time or another, everyone experiences some measure of anxiety. As we prepare to walk through this morning's text, I want to be clear that anxiety is a complex issue. But it's also an issue that always has some spiritual dimension to it. My aim today is to honor the word of God first and foremost, but I also want to be a wise and loving pastor. So whether your struggle with anxiety is primarily spiritual or a more complicated mix of spiritual and physical factors, I believe our text today has something for you. Let's look at the text together. Please follow along as I read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now let me begin by explaining how this text all fits together before we walk through it first. Uh, Look at the first word of verse 25. It's therefore. Now look at the first word of verse 31. It's therefore, again. Finally, look at the first word of verse 34. Not surprisingly, it's therefore. Friends, this whole text is intricately connected. In fact, what we're studying this morning builds on what we encountered in verses 19 through 24. That's why verse 25 begins with the word, therefore, in light of what 
Jesus has just established. Next, I want you to see a single command that's repeated three times in verses 25 through 34. First, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious. Now, you probably noticed as we looked at those different instances, it's not simply that that we have the same command repeated three times, but the command in all three cases immediately follows the therefore we already took note of. Now, why would I point that out? Well, in your struggle with and battle against fear and anxiety, God doesn't simply give you a command. Stop it. And then he leaves you to figure it out. He doesn't meet you in your weakness with a heartless demand and then sit back to watch you wallow in your pain and failure. Desperately, trying to muster up the strength and the ingenuity to escape the darkness. No, friends. Listen, every commanded behavior flows from an established truth. Before the text records a command, it first reminds us of who God is and what God has Done. Those are things that cannot and will not change while everything around you is closing in. So I wanted to give you that framework before we move through the text. The last thing I would want for you to do this morning is to walk away going, well, just got to try harder Just got to come up with a better strategy. I've got to find the elusive secret. That's not what this text is teaching. So let me try to show you that. I want to show you three features of this text that will help you understand what Jesus is teaching. Here's what we'll see. First, a repeated command. Second, a comforting antidote And third, a satisfying result. Repeated command, comforting antidote, satisfying result. First, the repeated command. I mentioned it already, but let's look more carefully at it. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious. As I mentioned already, whether your struggle with anxiety is primarily spiritual or it's a more complicated mix of spiritual and physical factors, I I do believe this text has something for you. Now, generally, I think we all have a pretty good working definition of anxiety, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. What Jesus is addressing here obviously includes this general sense of anxiety, but he explains more. Worry, nervousness, and unease about what? Well, notice again the wording of the command in verse 25. Do not be anxious 
about your life. Things like what you're going to eat and drink or if you will have something to wear. Now we need to see the link between verses 19 through 21 in our text this morning. So let's back up. Look at verse 19 again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you connect what Jesus says in verses 19 through 21 and carry that into verses 25 through 34, you see that Jesus is confronting what so many of us wrestle with, an unhealthy preoccupation with what we can see and taste and touch, or to put it negatively like Jesus does, things that rust and decay and can be stolen. If we have an unhealthy preoccupation with earthly things, to the degree that our hearts begin to treasure them. This is my source of joy. This is my source of contentment. This is my source of satisfaction. What happens when we don't get what we want most? Well, among other things, our hearts begin to be gripped with worry and fear and anxiety That's what Aaron told me this past week as we were talking about this text and his own battle with anxiety. He said, quote, the heart of anxiety is the idolatrous grasping for self-sovereignty. Brothers and sisters, if your heart is daily fixed on the things of this earth, And I think this text is pointing out a connection. Right? If your heart is filled with anxiety over things like food and drink and clothes and safety and security and comfort, then you very well may be prioritizing or valuing or treasuring or we could even say worshiping temporal things. If your heart's true treasure is found in the things of earth, whether it's as basic as food, drink, and clothes, or greater material possessions. Ultimate hope in earthly treasure will always produce some form of anxiety. Let me say that again. Ultimate hope in earthly treasure will always produce some form of anxiety because you're trusting in it to deliver what it can never deliver. To put this in the words of verse 24, if you're serving or worshiping money or what money can buy, then your life will be marked by anxiety. That makes sense. Again, while Jesus offers a clear and repeated command, this repeated command is connected to a comforting antidote. Let me read the whole text again so you see how it all fits together. Verse 25 again. Therefore I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What is the antidote to anxiety? Or perhaps I should use an example that everyone is thinking about right now. What is the vaccine Jesus offers that will help us develop the antibodies we need to fight against the infection of worry and fear. Here's the glorious answer the text gives us. How can a Christian break loose from the constricting and suffocating hold of anxiety? Well, the answer is not found within us. The answer is not found within us. That's good news. The answer is not something we must or can do. The Bible doesn't offer us a self-help strategy, which immediately sounds good, but you only discover it doesn't work. Here's what we do find. This text, this text helps us see something that anxiety and fear and worry has blinded our eyes to see. And it just happens to be what we need more than anything, the personal and intimate love of the Father. This is what we need most, the personal and intimate love of the Father. Here's how the text points us to the love of the Father. Verse 26, midway through the verse. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass. Verse 32, midway through again. Your heavenly Father knows. This is the antidote to anxiety. Your father feeds, your father clothes, and your father knows. Oh, this is good news. Brothers and sisters, far too often we forget the personal and intimate nature of Scripture. The Word of God is not disconnected from real people dealing with real life struggles. A text like this isn't just meant to be approached like a topical index of the, the sayings of Jesus. So we flip to the tab that says anxiety, and we find a memorable quote to get us through the day. 
No, this is the breathed out word of God written and recorded in love for the people of God. Don't miss that little word right before father in verses 26 and 32. What is it? Your. Your. Your father knows. A text like this is meant to be read by hurting believers. Eyes filled with tears. Wondering if there's any way out of the darkness. And by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, the struggling child of God will hear the voice of God himself through the living and active word. And perhaps, perhaps for the first time in a long time, the words of Jesus may again sound sweet to the ear of the anxious and fearful child of God. Now I want to explain the two illustrations Jesus gives about the Father's love and care for you. So Christian friend, remember, you are the you in this text. First, verse 26, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This example is pretty easy to follow, and many of you have heard me explain this before. But friends, in all your observations of birds, have you ever seen a group of them organized and working together operating a full-scale farm, right? Some are planting, others reaping, and then together they gather the crops they've grown into tiny little bird-sized barns. Has anyone ever seen that? No. But somehow, miraculously, in this intricate and complex world God has created, Jesus wants us to know birds have what they need when they need it. So here's the point. If God cares enough to keep birds alive and fed, don't you think he'll do the same for you? In fact, Jesus notes at the end of verse 26, are you not of more value than they? Of course, the answer is yes. Every human being created in the image of God is of infinitely more value than a bird. So brother or sister, next time your heart is filled with doubt and anxiety, and you wonder if God has forgotten about you or if he really cares enough to provide for you, take a break. Take a break from what you're doing. Walk over to the window or go outside and look at the birds. 
And remember that God knows what each one of them needs, and he provides what they need, and he loves you immeasurably more than a bird or any other living thing. Have you ever considered that a soaring bird is a gracious reminder that God cares for you? When you see the bird in flight, you, you should think it's, it's flying, which means it's alive, which means it's finding enough nourishment, which means that God is providing everything this bird needs. And then ask yourself, what does this mean for me? if I am more precious to God than any bird. Friends, grace surrounds us if we will only stop and take notice. Now look with me at the second example Jesus offers. When your heart is anxious, look at the birds, but also verse 28, consider the lilies of the field. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, the example Jesus points us to is straightforward. When your heart is filled with worry and doubt, take a moment to think about lilies. Now, maybe there's a part of you that wonders, really? That, that's, that's what you have for me when I'm paralyzed by anxiety? You're going to talk to me about lilies? No, Jesus is. And what's his point? Well, D.A. Carson explains, watch those flowers grow. They do not work to earn or buy their beauty. They just grow. Each flower individually and all of them in a field as they collectively decorate the green grass make the opulent splendor of Solomon's clothing pale by comparison. This is God's work. The Christian sees the fresh greenness of well-watered grass and whether or not he acknowledges the effect of chlorophyll, he certainly acknowledges the God behind the chlorophyll. God clothes the grass with spectacular arrays of flowers even though the grass is destined to be mowed down and burned up. Shall he not be even more concerned to clothe us, his children. Friends, God not only makes the flowers grow, but he makes them beautiful. Even though they'll be walked on and mowed down and burned up. On the one hand, you have Solomon, a staggeringly wealthy and wise king. This is the ultimate picture of earthly beauty insofar as man's ingenuity and prosperity can create it. 
But as opulent and majestic as King Solomon and his possessions were, they can't even be compared to the glory of God revealed, even in something as simple as a blossoming field of wildflowers. Now listen, if God cares enough, if God cares enough to clothe the lilies of the field with extravagant beauty, only to be destroyed, then friend, how much more do you think he cares for you? The pinnacle of his creation, one who bears his image. Your father feeds your father clothes, and your father knows. Brothers and sisters, when your heart becomes anxious over the cares and concerns of this world, whether you're wondering if God will provide or you're sinfully treasuring material things, either way, what has happened to you is that you've forgotten something basic about who God is. In fact, This is why Jesus says what he does at the end of verse 30, which I think you ought to read more as an invitation than a scolding. What does he say at the end of verse 30? O you of little faith. Our fear is connected to our faith. And in this case, there is something we've stopped believing We've started to wonder, is God powerful enough to provide what I need? In fact, does God even care enough to meet my needs? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever asked those questions? Well, Jesus answers these questions and a thousand more that may creep in. God is powerful enough, and he does care enough to feed the birds God is powerful enough and he does care enough to give the flowers what they need to grow and become beautiful. And he does this because he is infinitely and perfectly good. So what does this mean for you? Oh, you see, anxiety and fear and worry turn your eyes inward And you can begin to focus entirely on yourself. And if you're not careful, you can become inoculated to the wonder of God's creation. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. But if you're not careful, you can become deaf to the cry of anything but your own appetites and temporal concerns. And when this happens, you can miss God's breathtaking majesty in things like soaring birds and blossoming fields of flowers. So this text is meant to turn our eyes out. The point of the birds and the flowers is not really the birds and the flowers, is it? The end for which God created all things is his own glory. Look at the bird and see the provision of God. Look at the flowers and see the creative beauty of God. And in the same way, look at the resting 
peaceful Christian and see the love of God. Again, in this text, Jesus speaks to what we treasure. A heart of anxiety and worry reveals on some level a misunderstanding of God's character and a misplaced treasure. A heart of anxiety and worry reveals on some level a misunderstanding of God's character and a misplaced treasure. Look at verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Friends, can you think of anything more reassuring than this kind reminder? I would, if you're into this, underline it, highlight it, circle it, return to it often. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Far more than a loving parent who often knows what a child needs before the child even forms the words to ask the question. God the Father knows all and he sees all and he rules over all and this text claims that this God's ear is attuned to your cries, anxious Christian. But there's more. It's not simply that God has knowledge of you, but he also has affection for you. Christian, your father knows you perfectly and loves you endlessly. And while we see that in part in our text today, where do we see this more fully? We see it in the gospel, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you, do you hear the echoes there of Jesus's words in this text? Friends, in a very real sense, the bird, the flower, and 10,000 other things you see every day and don't even notice. These are gifts of grace. Little loving reminders everywhere you look that your heavenly father cares about you, he knows what you need, and he provides for those he loves. In fact, in the very next chapter, this is what we read. Starting in verse nine, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Again, Christian friend, your heavenly Father knows what you need. He loves to give you good things. And if you ever forget that, if you ever forget that, travel to the foot of the cross and linger there for a little bit. Behold, the Son of God sent by the Father to purchase you with his blood. 
This brings us to our final very brief point. We've seen a repeated command, a comforting antidote, and finally a satisfying result. So look with me again at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 32 is highlighting the difference between believers and unbelievers. It makes sense that unbelievers would be overcome with worry and anxiety. All they have is what they can see and taste and touch. The stuff that rusts and decays and can be stolen. So if, if they don't have that or they can't get it or it passes away, then life would seem totally empty. But you see, friends, the opposite is true for the child of God. The child of God seeks first the kingdom of God and then everything outside of that falls under the great canopy of divine and loving providence. Everything else falls under that glorious comment, your heavenly father knows. And notice the summary of sorts that Jesus offers in verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God. Something that cannot be taken away, right? Something that doesn't rust. Something that doesn't decay. Something that can't be stolen. Seek that first. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, in light of that, in light of that, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, okay, this is bringing so much of the Sermon on the Mount together right here. When you're a citizen of the kingdom of God and your supreme treasure is Christ, and you are daily swimming in the deep and rich waters of gospel truth, then you will find yourself worrying far less about your physical and material wants. If God has provided for you eternally through his son, then he will most certainly give you your daily bread. So friends, there is nothing that so undergirds the truth of this text, emphasizing the Father's love for every struggling, weary, anxious believer than the cross. There is no greater reminder that God knows what we need and he will provide it perfectly. If God did not stand idly by and look upon your greatest need with cold disinterest, then he will not do that as you experience daily anxiety and fear. He won't. He will meet you in love. Do you see how the love of God for you in Christ, the Father's love, drives out fear 
and anxiety and replaces it with peace and contentment and satisfaction. Doesn't mean that there isn't a struggle. But even in the struggle, we cling to these promises. We read over a text like this and we remind ourselves that Jesus is speaking to us. The gentle shepherd is taking you by the hand and leading you through the waters of fear and worry and anxiety. You can almost picture it. Jesus says, look at the birds. Then he explains, what, what do those birds have to do with you? Think about the lilies. And then he explains that. And then he looks at you and he says, your father knows what you need before you even ask. How comforting is this? So let me close with one, with one of my favorite quotes from one of my very favorite theologians. I think this quote captures how the gospel reveals the love of God for his children. And if I want you to leave with anything this morning, I want you to leave with this overwhelming sense of the Father's love. Sinclair Ferguson writes, when we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God's love goes in order to win us back to himself. We would almost, Ferguson writes, we would almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. We cannot measure love by any other standard. He is saying to us, I love you this much. The cross is the heart of the gospel. It makes the gospel good news. Christ died for us. He has stood in our place before God's judgment seat. He has borne our sins. God has done something on the cross we could never do for ourselves, but God does something to us as well as for us through the cross. He persuades us that he loves us. He persuades us that he loves us. I think there's something of that in our text this morning. Saying to the struggling Christian who's filled with worry and fear and anxiety, let me persuade you, the Father loves you. The Father cares for you. The Father will provide for you. So rest. Rest. Weary Christian in the Father's love. Let's pray.